Hello everyone and welcome to HY Dyslexia Podcast. Thank you for joining us this evening. My name is Elizabeth Techi, the founder of HY Dyslexia. Today, this podcast has been funded by Equip European Social Fund and Education Skills Funding Agency. The uh, title of this podcast is Navigating Dyslexia at University. We have the amazing Isaac to speak to us about his diagnosis with dyslexia and how he navigates his way through university and got a, a brilliant job with the cabinet office in the UK. Hello, Isaac, and welcome to the A2I Dyslexia podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. I'm great. How's it going? So, Isaac, welcome to our podcast. Um, you know, it's great to have you on our podcast this evening. You're doing such amazing work. It was great when we, when we connected to hear a little bit about your story. Now, I've got a photograph of me. You're standing outside number 10, down in the street. Hmm. Tell me a little bit about your journey with dyslexia. First of all, tell our listeners who you are and why you've decided to talk publicly about your dyslexia. Brilliant. Thanks. No, of course I will. So, um, so I'm 25 years old. I live in South London at the moment. Um, I've just moved to London about a year ago uh, and I currently work for the Cabinet Office. So the Cabinet Office is a government department um, and I am classed as a civil servant. So um, we, oh, in my current role, I put together policy advice um, for the minister. So um, our minister is uh, Chloe Smith. She, she's in charge of uh, devolution and the constitution. Um, and my role uh, in the cabinet office is to essentially to understand whether um, certain decisions that the government wants to make will work and to give advice um, and to look at the evidence um, behind these decisions. Um, I think that's the best way to summarize it. So my journey with dyslexia, um, yes, yeah, so, so I was six, six years old when um, my mum, who is extremely proactive um, and a real um, someone who's really been in my corner from from a very young age uh, on this issue um, took me to uh, to have my dyslexia assessed. Uh, alarm bells uh, were there because she herself was extremely dyslexic and still is. Um, and at school, some kind of concern had been raised. So I was tested. It turns out I was dyslexic, and um, it was I was very lucky to to have that checked at such a young age. Uh, and from then, um, I exhibited all of the, the, um, the classic uh, examples um, at school, struggling to keep up with work, having a, a, quite, a um, quite a young reading age, uh, far below my, my age at the time, um, being disengaged at times, uh, being disruptive, um, all, of the, all of the above. And um, some of my old uh, classroom reports can, can testify for this. Um, and it got to, I think I was in year 10, um, I didn't give much of a, um, didn't give much my schoolwork um, as much attention as I should have. And I was starting to get to the point in academics where um, these things such as uh, grades mattered. Um, and I was falling behind my peers. And um, there was a, a light bulb moment for me when, um, when I received my first official GCSE grade and I think it was a, a D or a C. Um, and my friends who, who were all extremely um, bright and academic at the time um, were celebrating and I, and I couldn't. And um, it was at that point I, I started to, to internalise um, my dyslexia and, and start to really consider whether I needed to work much harder than I was. Um, and from that point, so throughout sixth form, 
things started to look a bit brighter and um, I gradually started to get better grades as the work increased and this happened um, at a proportional rate um, all the way up until um, applying to university where I um, was lucky enough to get into uh, the University of Bristol but I also had offers from, from Durham um, and from Leeds um, which are both great universities as well um, and I studied biology so that was biology at an undergraduate level and I went on to do a master's um, and then from there I applied for the civil service I applied twice um, in two consecutive years and the second year I was lucky enough to to um, be offered a job it's a bit of a full circle story because now I'm back in education uh, the cabinet office have, have offered me um, the chance to do a an internship or apprenticeship they call it alongside um, the working week and this is a business and management degree at the University of Reading um, and it's associated with Henley Business School too. So uh, one day a week um, I'm given the opportunity to, to study alongside my work um, and I'm about four months into this and finding it extremely valuable at the moment. Uh, it's a two-year course and it's designed to be taken online um, by those who are in the workplace um, and who often have struggling um, priorities, I could say. Fantastic. Now, Isaac, just before we dive into our first question, the, the, the phone calls or emails or kind of queries we get a lot at HY, a lot of people say, I'm dyslexic and I've read that people have gone to uni and people have been in the world. How do they do it? Is what the questions we normally get asked. People will always sometimes say, look, this, you're dyslexic and gone to uni, you're doing a master's. How did you do that? Which brings me on to my first question. How did you approach your studies as a dyslexic at university? This is one of the reasons I was so keen to come and come and talk today. Um, I, I too had those, those questions. And um, while I can offer some advice, you know, it, it's very individual specific, but I, I'll approach it from, from my point of view. Um, and one of the things I think I found most valuable was being a reflective person and being self-aware and mindful. So what I mean by this is understanding who you are and how best you learn. Uh, and that certainly includes dyslexia and accepting your dyslexia. So, um, so I'm quite a reflective person. I understand where my strengths are uh, and my weaknesses. So for example, um, I like to, like to think, you know, comparative to other skills that I can communicate quite well. Um, another strength is emotional intelligence. So I like to try to understand people's um, feelings and emotions at the time. Um, and I've been told from, from a dyslexia report, actually, uh, that this is um, something I'm naturally quite strong at. So once you know this, and once you reflect on this, you can really shape the decisions you make and the choices you make um, around this. And then there comes your weaknesses. So um, my weaknesses tend to align to typical uh, weaknesses for dyslexic students, um, time management, uh, getting started, uh, getting projects underway, um, reading, writing, spelling, very common. And so that did inform my choice of degree and it does inform, it did inform my choice of modules. Modules being how they're graded, how they're assessed. Um, so being reflective and understanding yourself is one of the first tips that I found very useful at university. And then that also extends to understanding how you work best. So I understand that in the morning, I 
I work much better than in the evenings. I'm much more creative. Um, I have much more vigor <laughs> and I can get lots of tasks such as writing done. So what I'll do often is when I come into the library in the morning, I'll split my tasks. And if I have to write an essay or plan an essay, so it involves lots of thinking, I'll do that very early. And then I'll leave uh, a number of the kind of transactional or um, kind of administrative tasks to the afternoon when I'm flagging a bit, when I need lunch or a drink. And that's really worked well for me. Wonderful, excellent. So what difference did um, disclosing your dyslexia at uni, what difference did it make? I just want our listeners who were thinking about embarking on an education would think actually, what would I need to do if I went to uni and disclose my dyslexia? Would, would people, at, for example, would I be at, at a disadvantage or would I be at, at an advantage? Simply because there are some people that would think, well, you know, dyslexia can impact you in so many different ways. Perhaps it might not be best if I mention it or do I mention it? How was it for you when you disclosed your dyslexia at university? That's a really good question. Um, First thing I would say, and I always say this to anyone who I meet who's dyslexic or, or maybe I don't know they're dyslexic or not, is it's their personal choice. Um, your choice to disclose is reflected in your experiences that you've had up to that point. You might have had a very, a very troublesome experience, maybe at a past job um, or with a past friend or family member. That means you don't have the confidence to do so. But what I will do is discuss my own experiences and um, hopefully that might inspire someone, someone else to have the confidence um, to do so, because I really think there's value to be had in disclosing um, your dyslexia or if, uh, any disability um, that isn't, um, well, that, that might not be so obvious that you might feel, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to share this because um, this isn't an obvious disability or it might, I don't even consider this to be a disability. So that was my first tip so remember it's your choice um next comes to something i touched on previously and it starts with acceptance if you if you haven't accepted this actually within yourself um it's much much harder to to tell other people about it um and to start potentially gaining um getting help because of that so it really does start with you being comfortable with who you are um and your dyslexia and understanding that this is an inherent disadvantage. You've been dealt um, this disadvantage through no fault of your own, um, but why not try to capitalize on it? There's help out there, um, why not use it? So I'll tell my story um, just quickly. So why I wanted to disclose my dyslexia is I had received a lot of support and help um, as we've discussed my mum. Um, had me diagnosed at the age of six she she really believed that that was the the best route to get me the help as quickly as possible and the best help possible and I'm extremely grateful for that so my thoughts were I would be doing mum a disservice if I hadn't disclosed my dyslexia um, I would also be doing myself a disservice I, I recognized that I'd worked extremely hard to get to where I was to get to even A levels um, and to do that without recognizing that there were inherent barriers to, in doing so um, would be doing myself out of, um, out of something, I think. And finally, uh, a nice story here. So my teachers had also invested a lot of time in me. So this is often forgotten 
Um, I'm pretty sure I was either my English teacher's favourite or least favourite um, pupil because every so this is um, in the phase where I was um, engaging in school um, and every other day I'd bring him an, um, an essay I'd written that night. This was just random, a random essay that um, met one of the exam board's criteria. And I just said, sir, would you, would you mark this? Um, and this was completely outside of his, of his day job. He used to do this in his evenings. It was about three or four pages. Um, and he gave very good annotations on it. Um, but he took the time to recognise that he knew I was dyslexic and he recognised I was really trying to go the extra mile um, to mitigate for some of my inherent um, disadvantages there. He marked my essays, gave me amazing feedback and was able to understand how, how I worked. And together um, we managed to, I think, it, yes, it, so I, was, um, I received an A in English literature and an A in English language, which I didn't think would be possible. And it was just through uh, me being honest with my with my teacher saying this is why I need to do this and and him supporting me to do so. That's absolutely phenomenal and I hope that you know anybody who's listening right now who's got an um, aspirations to further their education can mm. see that it is possible and you can do it. I think I think the second part to this is understanding you know what's in it for you what why disclose so I've, I've given my story but I haven't said you know what what the benefit was to me um, and my friends um, were often extremely jealous of me uh, at university because of all of the, all of the support that I got. Um, for example, I had a, a needs assessment as soon as I came in. Um, they assessed what needs I had um, and they put together a recommendations list. I called it my shopping list <laughs> of things that would help me. Um, and they really did uh, with my dyslexia. So this was a scanner. I had free printing throughout the whole three years. Um, I had a separate study room. So my own study room in the library that I could use whenever I wanted. Um, I had extra time. I had a scribe in exams if I wanted it. Um, and yeah, something my friends really envied was my study room. They used to call it my booth and they try and get in there. Uh, I wasn't letting them though. But um, yeah, there really, really is kind of countless benefits to, to disclosing. Um, not just your own personal ones, but, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice um, if, if you don't, because you can't have access to these, uh, to the help that's out there. Absolutely. Now, we're making it sound a bit easy, Isaac. We, we, we make it sound like, look, you disclose, you get all the support, and then that's it. It's great. I mean, I know I really struggled, even with the help. It was like, okay, it's great. I've got one-to-one -one tuition and support, rather. I've got the, the technology I need. I can always go back and ask questions. I was getting all my PowerPoint presentations for lectures up front before starting the, the, uh, the lectures. So I would be ahead of everyone with all my notes before going in. Now, part of my dyslexia is memory retention. So that was to come back home, obviously, listen to all my recordings and then catch up. So that was like sort of double the time for me to learn. So I just wanted our listeners to know that it's great that we do have all these benefits out there, but we as dyslexics individual also have to put in, our, you know, like a little bit harder to work harder to, to, to be able to achieve what, we, what the goal is. Would you agree with that? Isaac? Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think I was hoping to come on to this and it's about rec yeah, recognising you really do need to put in the extra effort if you um 
if you want to get those results. It it does vary per individual. I have friends who are medics um, and dyslexic and they they can sail through exams. But for me, I found that the only way was putting in the extra hours um, and not begrudgingly doing so, just accepting that this is something I have to do. Um, and it makes you a lot prouder once you've achieved what you wanted to, knowing that you did that because you recognize you needed to. Um, and reflecting back on it, you don't think anything is impossible after that. So I completely Absolutely. agree, Elizabeth. Absolutely. So what message do you have for um, any dyslexic at university who are, um, who are at a, a breaking point right now? Now, I'd say a breaking point because when I was studying, well, I think I graduated in 2004, we didn't have pandemic at the time. So even that was difficult, just kind of trying to navigate my way around uni. Well, now we've got pandemic, COVID-19, all sorts of things happening at the moment. You know, it cannot be easy trying to learn online. I'm a visual person. I'd rather be in the a, in a, in a lecture theatre. I'd rather ask the questions there. I've never been one that excelled great online studying. Now, a lot of things have to be moved online. Studying have to be moved online for dyslexics. If there is any listening, list, person who's listening right now thinking, I'm actually studying remotely. I really can't cope with this. What advice would you give them? That's a great question. Um, and I'm going to approach this from the, from the standpoint of someone who is really struggling to cope. And as you say, at breaking point, um, I think I have a good example for this. And in my first year of university, I came, um, I was dyslexic, but I also uh, had a, a, um, an illness called chronic fatigue, which meant I couldn't exercise. I couldn't, I couldn't stay up late. I couldn't even get up hills without um, feeling extremely tired and having to spend uh, days and often weeks in bed. Um, what this did, it really highlighted and accentuated um, how valuable um, time in the day was to me and made clear to me that my dyslexia was going to be an issue because I didn't have the time. I couldn't put the hours in as I used to before. So I had to really change the way I was approaching my, my life, university, my studies, uh, and meeting people and meeting friends because that's the first thing you want to do at university and you want that to continue throughout. So I think there were three things um, that I reflect on that, that worked for me. And the first one, and I was lucky I did this um, at, the, at the beginning, but it's never too late to, is surround yourself with people who are going to support you um, and people that you can rely upon. So you need to have a supportive course group, having people in your course who are going to, for example, text you saying, have you done that deadline? Um, here's the notes I made from the lecture. Um, let's, let's team up and work on this project together because you know four minds are better than one. This is beyond measure a very, very useful um, tactic to employ. And, you know, you could do it naturally. You might just want to meet people. And of course, that should be your, your first goal. But there are secondary benefits. A quicker example I give is my, in my master's, I had to, to do a lot of statistical analysis. And maths isn't my strong point. Um, I'm sure many people would agree um, that this would, um, this would follow through to theirs too. And my best mate was extremely good at maths. So we teamed up. He, he took the math sections and everything to do with writing. So um, composing the essay, 
grammar spelling funnily enough I was actually better at so that was my specialty and we really complimented each other and we got a, a high first in our in our master's dissertation because of it and we recognized that really early on we could help each other out here um, and it's because we we put the time in we were friends beforehand uh, and it worked organically the next thing I'd say and this really applies to even now, now I'm out of university and when, when I'm at breaking points, when there's too much going on in my job, is the value of lists. Um, I find for me, memory retention, I can't remember more than the average person, I'd say. Uh, and it's stressful having all that in your brain. So getting everything down on paper is extremely calming. <laughs> I'd say, you know, almost soothing for me. And I, I know this, this happens with my dyslexic friends too. So writing everything down on paper, all of your actions, everything that you've had to remember for the day, something someone just mentioned to you in the corridor, getting that down. Um, my dad calls it a capture mechanism. He's very wise, my dad, and it's exactly right. So you're capturing it all and it frees your mind up to be reflective, to be creative, um, to have open conversations that you're going to remember because you're not cramming it with those menial things that you were trying to remember throughout the day. So that's my second one. And I think finally, something more motivational. And each day, you know, if you're really struggling, and I would advise this anyway, just as a habit, is just write down everything you've achieved, either in your life to that point. So reminding yourself of the, the key ones, or maybe that week or even that day. Just reminding yourself, you know, how much work you've put in to get to the point that you are. Um, the, the positive kind of outcomes of everything that you've done in that week, what you're looking forward to. There's um, a really nice quote from a, a motivational speaker that I used to listen to when things got really quite, um, quite busy. And it's that, you know, you're already in pain. So you've already invested so much time and effort into doing something. Why not get a reward from it? So you've already invested yourself. You've, you've put the hours in at A-level at, and before then, why not just hang in there, find ways to cope um, and get a reward for it, for, uh, get a reward for it. But I think the final thing I'd like to say, and this, this leads on from what I just said, is you need to be balancing mental health. And, and this, where the self, this is where the self-awareness comes in. So you need to recognize where your, your breaking point is. Um, and even before then, you need to recognize the warning signs. Um, there's lots of people at university who who don't do this and I think a core theme of my um discussion today is you know being self-aware I know when I'm when I'm going under when I need to go for a run um when I need to reach out to my family um, because I, I think I'm quite reflective it's better to to understand these things early than to, to drop out late um when it's too late and um yeah, that can, that can be much more demoralizing for you. So make sure you're on top of your mental health, but also you know, follow, follow some key, some key things such as, so I've discussed, surround yourself with people who are supportive lists and writing down your, you know, your key achievements um, to keep motivated. Fantastic. That's really, really awesome. Do you know what? It's just such an amazing advice to give because it, you know, I know at university, like I said, even when I was attending uni, there was no sort of uh, distractive in my learning, but 
I really sympathise with people that are at uni and studying at the moment and have to do it remotely and all the other pressures and other things that are going on at the moment. So it really cannot be easy. But thank you so much for that um, tip that you've given us and the advice that you've given us as well. Um, and I think this brings us to the end of our podcast. I'd like to say thank you very much for joining the site. But before I go, you were in The Guardian newspaper and you wrote an article um, about um, your dyslexia. Do you, want, do you mind sharing a little bit of that article with our um, listeners? Yes, of course. Uh, it's very embarrassing, but no, no, of course I can. So um, I was part of a um, an internship group um, as part of a charity called Leonard Cheshire, and it was the Change 100 scheme. And I'd recommend anyone look this up. Uh, it was very valuable. Um, I'll give a quick background because, you know, I've, I've got more to say. And I think how I got that internship is quite a, quite an interesting story. And then I'll explain the, the, the article. Um, this thinks back to something I really wanted to say today, and it's about stepping stones. Um, stepping stones to achieving your final goal. So you're not going to achieve it right away. It's about setting yourself up with smaller increments to get to where you want to. So to get this internship and to, to write this, this article, <laughs> which was one of the outcomes, um, uh, in my first year of university, I started uh, working at the Bristol Aquarium and I volunteered there for free. It was a really valuable experience. Um, I didn't think much of it at the time, but the next year, uh, a, a summer internship came up at the university in the um, academic labs. And, you know, I had experience, um, or this, sorry, this internship was in science communication. And I had some experience already because I'd, I'd gone out there and I'd taken my first step into getting some some evidence um, to show my commitment to it. So I applied for this summer internship and I got it. And then, you know, I had that experience. And the next year I had um, the opportunity to apply for this Leonard Cheshire scheme. Um, and it, so the Change 100 scheme is for an internship scheme for um, disabled students um, to be placed into top internships around the country. And it was um, a brilliant, brilliant scheme. And I recommend anyone look at it. You can, I think you can apply, uh, they might've changed it, but you can apply throughout your university time. Um, they placed me within a, an internship in a, in a large charity in London. And that was extremely valuable as you can imagine. So that was three months in the summer. And as part of that, I got to do all sorts of cool things um, beyond just living in London as a student, um, which was fun. But I got to write this article, um, which, I discussed some of the um, issues I've actually covered in this podcast and uh, just Google Isaac in Guardian. But then the final point I wanted to make was, you know, that internship led to the job I'm currently working in. And this is what I mean by stepping stones. You know, there's a directional path of travel you can really take towards your end goal, but without meaning to or planning it by just taking opportunities. Um, and creating creating a bank of evidence for yourself so you're really well put to um, to apply for a job a job that you really want when you want to um, and have that evidence behind you wonderful thank you so much Isaac thank you for your time thank you for the advice you've given thank you for the tips that you've given on this podcast as well if there is any anybody who's listening um, I really want to embark on education dyslexia and specific learning difficulties, I would say give it a shot, give it a go and see how it goes because there's nothing rewarding as when you actually finally graduate and you look at yourself and you think, right, for example, I can use me for example, when the teacher said, 
I don't think she amounts to anything. And I remember holding on to my certificate thinking I've done it. Isaac, thank you very much for your time. I'd like to thank our guests. You were a fun. Very thank you to Yola um, from Salt and Pepper Production for putting all these pod- podcasts together. Isaac, thank you so much. I just want to say to our listeners, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. Bye-bye for now. The Aspire to Inspire Dyslexia podcast, All Things Dyslexia, is funded by Equip, the Education Skills Funding Agency, and the European Social Fund. It's presented by Elizabeth Tashi and produced and distributed by Salt and Pepper Productions.